The car business is changing faster than ever. And now is the time for dealers and allied industry professionals to get ahead. Together, we'll explore practical ways to help your dealership thrive or get the best results from your account through leadership process and implementation. I'm Becky Chernick, and this is Make Your F&I Profits Stick. So welcome, Jody DeVere. It's a pleasure to bring you on Make Your F&I Profits Stick with Becky Chernick. So to get things started and for our listeners, let's first discuss your automotive background. Well, thank you, Rebecca. You know, I started in the automotive industry in 2000, so that's 22 years now. Um, And I came into the industry from spending many years in the technology field. So I was a little overqualified to work in automotive because they were a little bit behind the technology curve. But what I did find when I arrived in automotive was it was apparent that there weren't very many women um, working in dealerships, for one. But in general, there was a certain malaise around women And I was very fortunate to meet a woman. Her name is Lorraine Schultz. And she started the very first women's organization in automotive. She was based in Detroit called the Women's Automotive Association International. And and she took me under her wing, helped me meet all the right people. She basically was my advocate and sponsor And around that time, I developed the concept of helping automotive retailers like dealerships communicate more effectively with consumer women. And that really led to the other half of the coin, which is how to attract, hire, recruit, and retain and develop more women leaders to work in the automotive retail space. So here I am today, 22 years later, Really, I have been very um, persistent in these two um, halves of the coin. This also includes many other layers uh, that I have done. Uh, I actually had two businesses, AskPatty.com for the Certified Female Friendly Program, and also the Women in Automotive, which is a series of conferences for the automotive industry that revolve around employment uh, and developing women in the automotive space. But I also think this is really centered itself around automotive retail, specifically dealerships, but it could be automakers or tire dealers or any automotive retailer around three basic concepts of what is what is a great culture for not only women, but everyone to work in. What is the right kind of leadership to drive profitability and and have the great culture? And then what kind of workforce do I need to hire and retain? And what kind of training do I need to provide? So that's the three combo pack, I call it. Okay, so how is that going for you as far as are more dealers more receptive to having a better understanding of how to, how to make it easier for females to work in this environment? I, th- I always say the smart dealers uh, are the ones that are really addressing 
hiring and developing more women in their organizations. You know, I never say it's the right thing to do because you need to hire the right people, uh, no matter what their agenda, you know, or hire right people and train them to be the ultimate best employee. But I think the smart dealers understand that culturally having your workforce, especially the workforce that is uh, the people that are customer facing, be reflective of the customers. If you walk into a dealership as a woman and everyone working there is a man, that can be quite intimidating. And anecdotally, I can tell you that women still don't look forward to buying a car for a lot of those reasons or going in for service for that matter. And so I think the smart dealers understand and that kind of layers down into, well, if I have a heavy Hispanic market, it's probably a good idea to have some Spanish speaking people and the smart, more evolved dealers who understand um what culture does to impact their profitability are, are working along those lines. Unfortunately, there are still dealers that are well behind the times and tend to hire people like themselves. They can't see out of the box. They just keep repeating uh, this culture by hiring people who think like them, act like them, and look like them. So I, I know... Um... How many, you know, I've been in the automotive industry my, my entire life, and I know that dealers are doing, or they tell me, hey, we want to hire these females, Becky, but you know what, we are having a hard time doing it. And then the ones that we do, they never last. So what do you tell that dealer? So first, first of all, I, I work with clients along these lines a lot. And, and, you know, it's very interesting when you say, well, could you show me the advertising and where you're placing it? And, well, of course, they're, they're not attracting any people because the ads were written by men with all those adjectives and language that, that don't capture women's attention. They don't offer training and they don't offer a compensation a package that's attractive to women, right? Or on, ongoing education or anything like that. So the pay plan is part of it. But again, I will point to why would I want to go to work in an environment where I will only be the only female and they're not going to mentor me or advocate for me or help me jump through those hoops. Uh, in many cases, the onboarding plan, if it exists at all, doesn't include any of the things that uh, women are looking for to help advance their careers. Well, I can see many times going into the stores myself where the training sessions are upstairs or in a BDC of some sort, or perhaps maybe at a kiosk of some sort where they're watching videos. And then afterwards, there really isn't much training after the fact, after they're watching the video. So I can, I def, I, I see where you're going, you know, with that and making sure that there's a roadmap, a specific roadmap to the training and expectations, and then holding managers and also the, their, their people, you know, accountable. And so that being said, in your in your training environment, 
how do you help dealers have a better understanding how to train their staff to have a better awareness of what that may include? Well, the first thing that I like to recommend is to do an assessment of the leadership team. And there's several. Um, currently, I'm using DISC, the DISC, to assess their own capabilities and for them to take a look at what they their blind spots. We all have unconscious bias and we don't realize it. And so a DISC assessment helps not only the, the top leaders, but also for their managers to understand that they have different ways of looking at things and communicating different things and different biases. That's a good first step. Let's assess our leadership because it's easy to just blame people for what's going on. Assessments help you take responsibility for your part in why things aren't working. So that's step one. Step two is taking a look at, well, if you're having a difficult time hiring and retaining people, let's take a look at the whole process. Let's do an evaluation and see what you're, what kind of training. And when we're talking about training, it's not just product training. Do you have a comprehensive training program for different um, phases of career for the beginner, you know, the person who's mid career and into leadership and help them set that up and make recommendations and support them. Also, I think there's something to be said about compensation plans and how to get creative to attract not only women, but millennials and younger have different needs than people had, in, you know, uh, that are, are more advanced or have had a long history in automotive. And if they're not taking a look at compensation packages um, that are going to meet the needs of these, the new people that they're trying to bring in and develop, well, they're not going to get anyone to hire. They're just not likely candidates. And I and I couldn't agree with you more there. The DISC uh, profile, I think, is ideal in determining whether or not this individual has the makeup for that position. And that just makes all the sense to me. But let me ask you this, and I hear this a lot as well. You know, today, you know, some of the younger people, a little bit different than you and me, do they really have, and I'm going to, I'm putting it out there, females, do they really have the backbone to, to, to be in the car business, to do what it takes to be successful in the car business? It's not easy. These are hard, these are retail hours. And so it's not like you can come into work and decide it's 12 o'clock and you're leaving for lunch for a couple hours and you're com coming back in, unless, of course, you're selling a bunch of cars. So what do you suppose as far as their mindset? Do you feel as if, you know, um, some of these, actually some of these people today actually have the backbone to, to be in the car business? Well, number one, looking outside of automotive, it, in the mall, to any major department store, people, many women are working in retail. Many women like working in those retail spaces. So the question, I think, should be, why not automotive? Same hours, you know, actually, uh, maybe not even as bad as, as any, any major uh, retail chain, right? Why is that? My question is, why do you have to have elephant-thick skin to work in our industry 
That should not be so. I think that's the problem. You know, that's a cultural, it's like, well, for if you've got to have a tough skin to work in this industry, gosh, I, you know, I worked in high tech for 30 years before I came to automotive. And certainly you had to be aggressive to succeed and all of that. But I was never told that I had to have elephant thick skin. That's just a put off right there. Like if I'm sitting in an interview and say, well, you're not tough enough for this industry. It's like, really? Wow. That's right. And um, that's that's a lot of what's what, you know, we hear sometimes, you know, do you have uh, do you have the tough skin to 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 um, to, you know, make this thing work? Because, frankly, um, it's a tough business. This is this is exactly what you hear, you know, even during, you know, when they when they conduct interviews with, um, you know, potential candidates. And honestly, Many dealerships do not have what I call professional human resources people conducting these interviews. In other words, they have, you know, the person who is the human resources has, has no background, no university degree, no experience working in human resources management. So that's an issue right there. So what they're actually doing is replicating themselves. I'm looking for somebody who's just like me. I'm looking for somebody, and, and there's all these this misinformation about this tough skin. I, I've been working in this industry for 22 years. I, I would not say I have a tough skin. I don't want to be like that. I, I don't want to be a hard ass. Excuse my language. That's all good. <laughs> that, that's just not how I want to roll, and I've been very successful. So what do you say about that, guys? And And also, on the other hand, to say that women are less tough than men – it's kind of a put down. And, you know, that's kind of sexist because I think women um, actually statistically and throughout all industries, women are much more loyal than men are as long as they are treated well. And unfortunately, because of bias in general, we tend to work harder to earn our uh, keep. And so I think there's a, a lot of miss I call them out there about hiring and having women on board from the technician area all the way up through um, owning dealerships this whole tough guy image is is not necessarily and I've seen that play out in dealerships where that those kind of cultural norms for automotive industry don't exist and so I think this is we're, what we're talking about here is an industry that has a very um, deeply rutted culture that exists uh, with with many biases that are that tend to uh, accentuate that you've got to be a guy and act like a guy and think like a guy and be tough to survive, and that's one of the reasons that there's such an imbalance. Actually, statistically, in all automotive, only a little over 26.5% are women working, and that's in all industries, parts, manufacturing. But in the dealership, those percents go down. It's only around 20%, and most of those women are in the back room. They are not leading the dealership organizations. And I know in many cases, uh, in sales, they're the you know it's a small percent. They're the only woman. Well, I know for sure, and I think you and I have had this conversation before, but I can tell you that the dealer is always questioning, well, you know, here's the thing, Beck. Um, 
one thing we have to be careful about is when we hire um, a female who is attractive. So the last thing we need, and I'm telling you, I've heard this, I can't begin to tell you several times, but the last thing we need is a lawsuit. And so a lot of times, sometimes that person may not be even hired because they're concerned because they can't, they can't um, manage the floor and or their people. And this is, this is what they tell me. I can't manage and know what's going on all, all, all the time. And, you know, the last thing I need is a lawsuit. In fact, I believe another individual I was speaking with at one time shared with me that they actually have a, a legal or some type of legal document that the dealer has their managers signed. So if in the event they were to have some sort of indiscretion taking place at the, in, at work that they hold the dealer harmless. So talk a little bit about that, would you? You know, uh, there was a, a really um, fascinating um, survey taken by Automotive News a couple of years ago. It was published, widely published. And unfortunately, sexual harassment and these sort of um, harassment or difficulties ha- have existed for years. Um, and, and again, I'm going to go back to my statement about professional human resources. I'm not saying professional human resources are going to solve the problem, but they will create a process. And that fear of dealers is because they don't have, they don't protect themselves. In other words, the human resources means that along these lines, they have a process for mitigating these in place and they manage that issue. It is ridiculous and makes me angry to hear that a dealer would not hire a woman because she's too attractive and he's afraid of a sexual harassment lawsuit. That's a big red flag that the culture in that organization is not just not good for women, but it's just not good for a lot of really valuable talent out there that they could be hiring to help them deliver more profitability. You know, um, I couldn't agree with you more there because I, I, it was interesting that he had uh, that kind of perspective when it comes to um, an attractive female, but it's, it's a conversation that it's not the first time it's not the second time, but it happens frequently. And I just, it's unfortunate because you're, you, you're correct when you're saying if that's the case, then we're missing out on great talent. And I can't imagine that we can't manage this. And like you said, you know, establishing that um, human resource uh, department to assure that we are mitigating any of these issues that may come up. Right. And so but there are a lot of best practices that uh, dealerships can put in place to mitigate that risk. Um, and they just aren't, either aren't willing to do it or aren't familiar with that. I, I cannot name the dealer, but they went ahead and hired um, a whole team of their large dealer group. To, and their goal was to hire more women and more um and to have a more multicultural uh, environment and to hire younger people. It was a big challenge for them. 
That was a few years ago. And they have accomplished that, not without a learning curve and not without some mistakes, but definitely, and all of their brands in brand in their stores are the number one in their in their region because they have developed a workforce that is exactly the right workforce to work with those customers. It was really a smart uh, business move for them and having the right um, legal people on their team too to advise them on how to handle what I would call those sensitive situations to mitigate any risk. And so you in, in today's market, in the modern world, you can't fly by the seat of your pants with the old rules. And avoiding risk because you don't have the resources um, or are unwilling to hire the resources to handle it is is not a smart business uh, decision in my because you're missing out on if you're not hiring women you're missing out on half the opportunity of a of a great workforce that's crazy and for young people too and one size does not fit all and this whole idea of our industry which is is really um, mind-boggling that there's this sort of malaise about purchasing a car or going in for service because um, women feel intimidated or that they'll be taken advantage of because it's so testosterone male-based um, has got to change. These are modern times. Women are feeling much more empowered and much more willing to um, say what they think at both on and on offline. And so, you know, dealers need to get with the times. They they tend to continue to replicate all of these um, problems by not going to the experts outside of our industry even to get the right information to make those changes and to keep them in place. A little frustrating. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you, I'm going out on another limb here. And I'm going to ask you, Jody, about the dress dress code for women. And it's like all over the place. We have ladies with spiked shoes on. We have ladies with heavy red lipstick and makeup and some that are just dressing down to like almost in loafers. I mean, so is there any feedback that you want to provide dealers as to how should they handle this dress code? Well, every that's a really hard question to answer in one sentence because each individual market is a little different. For instance, down in Florida, it's warm most of the time. And so the dress code, if you're working in a dealership in Florida and you're outside in the humidity, might be a little different than up in Vermont, right? And so I don't think that there's a, a final answer, but I would just say business appropriate. Who can direct those kind of questions to a human resources department, right? right. I mean, for the service folks, obviously uniforms are great because that, you know, you don't have to worry about that. But on the sales floor, business appropriate attire is usually what's best. And that has got to come from a, a, a policy that you sit down with your team, work on with your human resources department, and and hold your employees to that, educate them. I mean, isn't it isn't the truth on all of these questions to be more successful? 
And so having good policy and educating your employees and getting the best type of advice around these uh, types of questions are really the answer. Because, you know, we all fall into bad habits. I'm sure during COVID, a lot of people never got out of their sweats. So when they had to go back to work for the first time, they were like, what am I going to wear? And so times change, you know, and and I think that's a question that dealers need to ask themselves with with responsible resources who understand not only their market and who they're serving what would be comfortable not only internally but externally to the customers but appropriate well i'm sure a lot of my uh, friends and listeners out there will say are you kidding me becky but I, I like the idea behind uniforms. Um, frankly, I think it's easier. I wish we could come up with something where, again, where you have a uh, dealership type, I don't know, uh, shirt, which I think there are plenty of dealers out there that, that offer that. But perhaps maybe a specific dress code would make life a lot easier um, rather than maybe making that wrong decision or whatever, um, coming in to work with maybe something that may not necessarily be appropriate. Well, I think the leaders in some way um, set the tone for many of these questions, how they dress, how they behave, and, 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 you know, how they present themselves. So, you know, you can make up a lot of rules and guidelines and uniforms but really, it's the leadership team that sets the tone for all of that, that's right. and how to be and how to reflect that. Yeah, that and that's fair to say. Yeah, it really is. And let's say if you're working in a Porsche dealer, you're going to have a different type of customer that you need to dress to, um, different than a Ford or a Chevy store. Uh, and so, I don't think there's one answer, but I do think leadership needs to think about these questions and understand that they set an example. And we're all it all comes down to the culture. What kind of culture do you want to have? Do you want to have a culture where it's a free-for-all? Do you want to have a culture that's consistent with best practices and human resources? Do you, do you have a culture that asks the questions, why don't we have more women here? What are we not doing right? What I always hear is, I've tried to hire women, but they just don't apply for the jobs. I don't know what's wrong with them. And that's what I hear as well. But not only that, we hear, okay, they, we, we hire them and they don't stay. And, or we can't retain them. And I think and they're not asking the right questions. They're asking, what did I not do? And, and you know, the exit interview could be very interesting to ask, what did you need to stay? What are we learning here from not being able to retain women? Am I not offering her, we said it before, a career path? Are we not offering her training so she feels she's growing in the business? Are we not, do we not have a culture that's comfortable for women to work in? What are we doing to improve our success at not only hiring women, but I understand that millennials want many of the same things that women do, you know, feeling like it's not just a job, it's more than a job, that it's something important, right? Things like that. And also training and career paths, um, these are very uh, similar needs. So if we're not providing that, then what kind of person can I hire 
when I'm not offering the things that the demographic that I need to come work here wants, you know? Well, especially today. I mean, so we have dealers right now who won't disagree with me. I mean, we're, they're making more profit than they've ever made before and hand over fist actually with a lot less. So perhaps some may have their blinders on and continuing to do what they've always been doing. So how do we get those blinders off in closing? How do we get these blinders off to really help these dealers understand, you know, how to really embrace new talent and create a roadmap that will help them to retain and even promote that individual to another position um, or a long-time employee career in the automotive industry. Well, I, I think we're talking about ROI here. You know, th- that's what dealers mostly respond to. What is the ROI in hiring more women or millennials? What, you know, what is the return on investment for me as a, as a dealership owner or a dealer group owner? And I think that's the conversation that needs to be had with dealers and understanding not just to think in the next 30 days, but have a five-year employment plan to think of the future. How am I going to grow? How am I going to sustain this level of growth? Even though they're rolling in dough now, they know that that's a, a cycle in the market and that that will slow down. So what am I going to do to shore that up? Help them to think a little bit past the 30-day cycle in selling cars. That would be very helpful. But you're right. Some managers or leaders will not respond to anything like this unless they're in pain. And I always say this, the more, the smarter the leadership group is at a dealer, the more forward thinking they are. And they do have a five-year, 10-year plan. And they're incorporating more long-term plans and processes to reach some of these internal goals to have that culture and mix of employees and to have it be consistent. Not every dealership has a, you know, a, a turnover rate of four times. And so those are the smarter dealers who ha- know how to have long-term plans and to stick by them. So Jody, I know that you offer um, some training on that type of development and putting processes in place to help and support dealers Uh, For dealers to get more or viewers or listeners, if you will, um, to go ahead and get more information, um, where can they find find you and where can they find the training that you offer? Well, thanks for asking. Um, They can visit for uh, leadership, culture and workforce, not only training, but certification and consulting. Visit Ask pattytraining.com for the certified female friendly program which helps your employees learn to communicate more effectively with female customers go to askpatty.com awesome well jody it was a pleasure to have you on uh, with me today and i'm certainly confident many dealers will want to know the value of hiring retaining women in automotive business and what that's all about giving them that roadmap and the necessary training and what is absolutely possible um, to retain in automotive um, industry today. So thank you again, um, Jody, for being on. Um, 
with me today. Thank you for having me. You have a great day. You've been listening to Make Your Evanite Profit Stick with Becky Chernick. If you've enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe, leave a rating or review wherever you're listening right now. And don't forget to share to Facebook or your favorite social media platform. Keep in mind, I offer the very best in in dealership or remote F&I training since 2001 for automotive, recreational, and allied industry professionals. Get all your managers on the same page and make those F&I profits stick.